Let's pray together as we turn to God's word. Lord, we, we thank you for this, this scripture that Connie just read for us, for the great mystery that it is that you have brought us from death into life, that we were once dead, but now raised in Christ and given a purpose, a work, a calling to do in the world. So, Lord, we pray that today that we would receive whatever you have for us, that you would make us good hearers of your word to us. Lord, each of us come in here with different burdens, trials, doubts, fears, different obstacles to hear from you today. And I pray that by your spirit that you would remove those and open our heart and our minds to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So friends, what, what year is it? It's not a trick question. What year is it? Okay, it's 2023. But why is it 2023? Why is it not year 6,500 or year 200 million or the year 10? It's after Jesus. It's 2023 A.D., the year of our Lord. Our time is measured by this man, Jesus. Our calendar is fixed by his arrival. History is divided by the time before him and the time after him. And we use these notations of B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, to configure our time around him. We reckon history based on the time that came before him and the time that came after him. And that's a wonderful thing to consider. But this morning, I want you to consider your own personal B.C. and A.D., Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, Paul tells us that each of us had a B.C., before Christ life. And he tells us what our life is like now, A.D., in the year of our Lord, in the time when he has been Lord of our lives. In the first three verses of this chapter, Paul uses some very strong language about what we were like B.C., before Christ, dead, Objects of wrath in our transgressions and sins, following the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of this world. Paul describes us as, as dead. There are many places in scripture that associate sin and death together. And what Paul means here is not our physical death, but before Christ, we were spiritually dead. Spiritually flatlined, spiritually unresponsive to God, unable to hear him, see him, or respond to him in any way. Humanity was created, you were created in the image of God to be alive to him. The first few chapters of Genesis tell us that we were made alive to God, alive to worship him, made to worship him and to hear him when he speaks and to speak to God and to know that he's listening and hears us, to hear his word and to obey him. We were created to be spiritually alive, alive and responsive to God. But our sin before Christ caused us to be spiritually flatlined, to be unresponsive to him. When he spoke, you did not hear. You did not 
have eyes to see his work. Your heart was unresponsive to him. Your mind was darkened to his truth. Paul says that before Christ in our BC life, we followed, followed the word of another, followed the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We responded to sin and to the evil one. In your life, B.C., you were dead in your sins, unresponsive to God. But verse 4 says, but God. Those two words, actually three words in the Greek, but God, help us to see what God has done. We are helpless and unable to do anything, spiritually dead, unable to respond to him, but God in our A.D. life. We have been made alive to him. We are recipients of his grace, of his kindness and his power that make us alive and able to respond to him. And one of the most important things that he says about each one of us living in our A.D. life is that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good work. Paul says this amazing thing is that you have been created in Christ. You have been raised with him, seated with him in the heavenly places. And now he has given you a good work to do. He has given you a vocation, a calling, good work to do. And Paul says that this work was so important that he prepared it for you in advance. That there was some plan and purpose that God has for you in your life that was so important that he planned it in advance. He didn't just say that, you know, Josh became a follower of Jesus and now I need to find something for Josh to do until he dies and goes to heaven. The grace that God gave to Josh and to me and to you is a grace that we would be saved and live forever with God. And it is a grace that now we have been given purpose and meaning and calling in our life right now. Your work was so important to him, your partic participation with him in his work of redemption in the world, in the bringing of his kingdom was so important to him that he planned it out, prepared a work for you to do. Your salvation and your life here are not an accident. God has something for you here. This is what we're going to be talking about today as we begin to wrap up our series on Uncommon Unity. This week and the next week is our last sermon on this topic. And one of the ways that we express our uncommon unity is through our diversity of our callings. Here at Broadway, we believe that there is one call to follow Jesus— and that is lived out in many different kinds of callings. One call, but many callings. Each of us has been called by God to serve him and to serve others. This idea of calling is very closely related to our topic of spiritual gifts that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Each of us are given gifts, some unique, special ability that helps us contribute, contribute to God's work in the world. And we also believe that each of us have been called by God for a specific kind of work. Ephesians 2, 10 again. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So one of the ways that we live out our unity and diversity as a church here 
that is called to be a church of uncommon unity is that each one of us are called to live out our own unique calling to do the good works that God has given each one of us to do. So I want to talk a little bit about calling today. What do we mean by this idea of calling? I just want to define calling as this way. The ways that God invites us to join his mission. The ways that God invites us to join his mission. God made the whole world. He created the whole world in order to bring him glory and praise. And right now he is at work establishing his kingdom, his rule, his reign over every inch of the world that he has made. Over every heart, over every home, over every neighborhood, over every city, over every nation. God is king, and he's working to establish his kingdom over all things so that all things will give him glory and praise. And we read throughout the scriptures that God invites human beings, his image bearers, to participate with him in that mission. Beginning with Adam and Eve, who God tells to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the whole earth. Abraham, who was called to leave his father and mother and to go to a place that God would show him and that he would become the father of the nation of Israel. Moses, who was called at the burning bush to lead God's people out of slavery and into the promised land. The kings and the prophets are called. And then into the New Testament, the disciples and the apostles are called to be about God's work that he's given to them. And throughout history, men and women throughout history have heard a calling on their life, have responded to it, and have joined with God in his mission. Every follower of Jesus is called to participate in God's mission in their own unique way. So when we talk about calling today, we're talking about God's invitation, his initiation to speak to us and to invite us to join with him in the work he's doing in the world. There's a couple different kinds of callings that I want to talk about today. The first is God's general call to every believer And then also God's specific or personal calling to you. First, there is God's general calling to every single believer. There are certain callings in Scripture that apply to every single one of us. Different ways that all of us are called to, invited to join in God's mission. We think about the two great commandments, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, and with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. By following these two great commandments, we are joining with God in his mission to bring his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And all of us are called to live out those two commandments. After the resurrection, Jesus gives his disciples the great commission. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is a calling on each of our lives to learn to obey the commands of Jesus and to teach others to do the same. During this time, as we've been talking about uncommon unity, we as a church have a unique calling. We've been talking about it in Ephesians chapter 4. We've used this as our confession of faith each week, that we are called to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. We are to be humble and gentle, patient and bearing with one another in love. 
And do you remember what this calling that we have is as a church from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 10? That calling as a church is that we would be a visible demonstration to the unseen spiritual powers of the world of the wisdom of God. What a strange calling that we're a part of. That we as the church would be called to be a demonstration to the angels and the demons about the wisdom of God. And it seems that we live out this calling to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, not by loud and grandiose work, but by being completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love. As I said a few weeks ago, it seems that the angels and demons aren't all that impressed with big buildings or big budgets or big ministries. According to Paul, what really gets their attention, what really reveals who God is, is when you and I are humble and patient and gentle and kind with one another. So these are examples of God's general call for all of us to follow the two great commandments, to carry out the great commission, to live in the church according to this calling, to be a demonstration to the world of God's wisdom. That's a God's general call on all of our lives. And there are other examples that I could give in the scriptures of God's general calling of the way that we are invited to join with God in his mission to see his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. But there is also God's specific and personal call on each one of our lives. A specific way or a specific task or a specific job that God has called you to do. Ephesians 2.10, that good work that God has prepared beforehand for you to do. And I think that usually when we think about the word calling, or when we talk about calling in the church, this specific and personal call is usually what we have in mind. And I want to pause for a few minutes and just acknowledge that for many people, this idea of God specifically and personally calling me can actually create a lot of anxiety for people. I've been in pastoral ministry for close to 20 years, and it seems to me that this idea of God's specific and personal call, it does create a little bit of, of excitement and encouragement that while God might have something for me, but more than anything, it seems to me that people are confused about it and sometimes frustrated about it. And so I want to talk a little bit about these anxieties, these confusion and this frustration around this idea of our own specific calling, that God has called me to do something in the world. For some people, it can be just really confusing. Well, what does it mean for God to call me? And is everyone really called, or is that just something that's left to, to pastors or missionaries or other kinds of people who do really spiritual stuff? Well, there's confusion around calling about how that relates to my job. Like, I work 40, 45, 50, 60 hours a week. How does my calling from God, how does that relate to the job that I do? Or does it relate at all? What's, what's that all about? So there's confusion about what calling means. I think there's also a lot of frustration that I hear when I talk to people about calling. Some people are frustrated because they simply don't know what their calling is. 
They want to figure out. They would do it if they could, but they feel really paralyzed because they haven't heard some sort of word from the Lord about what they are called to do. Other people are frustrated about the idea of calling in their life because they do feel like they've heard a calling from God, but life gets in the way. (laughs) Their job gets in the way. The constraints of family life get in the way. The lack of money or resources or encouragement from other people just isn't there in order to make that thing happen. And so people can be frustrated when they think about this idea of God's specific call on their life. There's another way, interestingly, that people feel frustrated about calling is that they feel that the weight of calling is just too heavy for them. One of the gifts of the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago was to remind the church that all of God's people are called to do good work. That calling wasn't just left to monks or nuns or priests, but that all work All human work mattered to God. So listen to this quote by Luther. He says it like only he can. Luther says, Truly good works are those that flow from faith. The works of monks and priests differ no whit in the sight of God from the works of the farmer toiling in the field or the woman going about her household tasks as all works are measured before God by faith alone. It's really a wonderful, wonderful idea. But I've talked with some people who just feel like that's too much. What does it mean for me to somehow be called by God and to go about my work as a stay-at-home mom or dad? Does changing this diaper really have to carry the weight of the whole world on my shoulders? That somehow I'm doing this It feels like a lot of pressure to them, that God is gazing down on them and making sure that they do every single little thing with an attitude of worship and praise, and as if this little thing was some sort of eternal work. So it can be frustrating for some people to feel like they have the weight and pressure of this thing called calling. Another source of frustration comes from comparison to other people. We look at the life and work of someone else, and it seems like they have a real calling from God, and we consider whatever it is that we are doing, and it falls way short of whatever that person is doing, and we get discouraged. I suspect that when it comes to this question of calling, especially this idea of having a specific calling from God in our lives— All of us in this room, at least most of us, have had some sort of combination of this confusion or frustration that I've just described. Would you be willing to raise your hand if you've been frustrated or confused about this idea at all? Excellent. If you're really a sincere and earnest person, a sincere follower of Jesus, how can you not feel this way at some point? If God has a calling on my life, something to do of eternal significance... How can I not feel frustrated by that sometimes or confused by that sometimes? It's just so big. It's such a huge thing to consider in our own small life. But Ephesians 2.10 is clear that God has designed good work for you to do. And I want to remind you today that that's good news. Even if you feel confused or frustrated by that, I just want you to rest in 2.10 
that God has a good work for you to do. And I want to give you some guidance today that I hope will be helpful for you as you navigate the frustration or the confusion that you may feel about this idea of calling. It's my hope that this guidance will diffuse some of the anxiety and I hope make all of us feel a bit more hopeful about how to go forward discerning the work that God has us to do or more confident as we walk forward in the work that God has called us to do. The first is this, above all other things, the first priority is faithfulness to Jesus. Your relationship to him is the most important thing. The work is secondary to your relationship with him. The first priority is your relationship with him. I just wrote a new verse to the song that we sang earlier. Maybe you can join me in singing it. When I don't know what to do, when I don't know what to do, when I don't know what to do, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You don't know what to do, if you don't know what this calling is that God prepared in advance for us to do, it's okay. Just sing, give me Jesus. It's in this relationship where the Holy Spirit is at work in you, forming you into the person that God wants you to be. Forming you into Christ-likeness, which is a part of our general call that God has given to all of us to become more and more like him. He's forming you into the kind of person who has the wisdom and the perseverance and the skill and the ability to do whatever it is that he will call you to do. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the temptation to focus on the spiritual gifts rather than on the giver of the gifts. And there's a similar temptation here to focus on the call rather than on the one who calls. And that's first. That's our first priority, to focus on the one who calls us, to be in relationship with him, because in that relationship we are becoming who we are called to be as a person in mind and soul and body, formed into his image so that we can do the work that he's called us to do. Secondly, If you don't know what your calling is, or if you feel frustrated that you can't live it out for one reason or another, focus on those principles of the general calling that we talked about earlier. These general commands of God are a part of the work that each one of us are called to do. Loving our neighbor as ourselves, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, learning how to obey the commands of Jesus and encouraging and teaching other people to do the same. Learning to be humble and gentle and patient with one another in your community in love. And if you're faithful to these general principles of our calling, I believe that that will make space for you to hear the more specific thing that God may have for you. Third thing, Listen and be patient 
and do what is in front of you. Thinking our imaginations about this idea of calling, it feels like we're expecting to see some sort of neon light in the sky to show up and make it really clear, thou shalt do this. And that may be the experience of some people, but definitely not most. If you talk to most people who have this clear sense of calling in their life, it seems most often that their calling was something they sort of fell into rather than forged their way into. Their calling felt somewhat unexpected. Some door opened up that they didn't even know to knock on, but it opened up for them. Or the circumstances in their life were shaped in such a way that it just seemed right to do this thing. So as you are considering what it, means, what it means for God to specifically call you to something, be patient, be listening for the Lord, and simply do the thing that's in front of you and see what doors God opens for you. The fourth thing is pay attention to what moves your heart. There are things in this world that really move you. Problems that you see that bring you to tears. Injustices in the world that really matter to you and that bother you, but don't seem to matter quite as much to other people. I suggest to you that those sorts of internal movements in your heart, motions toward other people, movements toward fixing some problem, those are from the Lord. He put them there, and they are part of you discerning his specific call in your own life. So friends, we have a general, call, general calling from God, and we have specific calling from God. And it was so hard to write this sermon because there are so many different details about how this works its way out. I would love to sit down and talk with you over coffee about how this is working itself out in your life what frustration, what confusion you're having. Maybe you're wondering if maybe it's this thing or another. I, one of your elders, one of your small group leaders, another friend, talk, them th- talk that through with them. I have this passion in my heart, this thing that moves me. Might I, be, might I be called to this or that thing? So let's talk about our uncommon unity as a church and how it relates to our diverse callings as people. Our diverse callings is an essential part of our unity as a church. It's an essential part of our growth and our maturity as our church. We've been declaring Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 as our uh, statement of faith, as our, our confession of faith each week over the last couple of months. It's the one, again, that talks about being completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, because there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Then the very next verse is this. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And he goes on in this chapter to describe that grace as the work of service that each person is given to do to build up the body of Christ. We often think about grace in terms of our own moment of salvation, that we receive God's grace. And of course, that is 
the first experience that we have of God's grace. Well, we continue to experience God's grace over and over again. And one of the ways that Paul describes grace in his life is the work that God gave him to do. God has given me grace to be an apostle to the Gentiles. God has given you a grace that is the work of service that you have to build up the body of Christ. And in verse 16 of chapter 4, Paul says, From Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by each supporting ligament, grows it and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul uses this image of the body in a couple other places, in Romans and in Corinthians, when he describes the church as a body each of them having a part to play, a role to play in the working and functioning of the whole. Our diverse callings are an essential part of a healthy and maturing and growing church. So I want to say to you today, don't despise your gift or your calling because you seem to think it's small or insignificant. The Lord sees the work you are doing. And he is very clear that when that work is done in faith, that it is not done in vain, and it is work that will last for eternity. Pay attention to your heart and also be careful not only to despise your own gift and calling, but be careful to not be jealous or despise the callings of others. To look down on the calling of other people because you think that work is not that important or it's small or maybe jealous because you think their work is really important and yours is small. There's always this temptation to be looking over our shoulder at what someone else is doing or not doing. And this is a perennial temptation for followers of Jesus. It happened towards the very beginning in the story of Peter's calling. After Jesus' resurrection, when Jesus made breakfast for the disciples on the beach, Jesus restores Peter after Peter had denied him three times by calling him to go and to feed his sheep. It's one of my favorite stories in the gospel stories of Jesus reinstating Peter after his failure and calling him to be a pastor, to shepherd the sheep. And right after Peter receives this grace, this blessing, this new calling from Jesus himself, he looks over his shoulder at John and says, what about him? And Jesus says, don't worry about him. I have my own plans for him that you don't know about. And in that moment, the Lord turned Peter's attention back to himself Peter, look to me. Listen to the calling that I have for you, and I will work out my plans and my purposes for you and for John and for the whole world. I'm in control. And friends, we can trust him with this. He is the king after all. This is his world after all. It is his kingdom that is coming, not ours. And the great gift and mystery is that he invites us to come and to be a part of this kingdom that he is building. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, unable to respond to God in any way, but in Christ we have been made alive. 
made alive to hear and to respond to his call in our lives. We've been made alive to become aware that he has good work for us to do. We've been made alive in Christ and we're invited to join with him in seeing his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. That is here in my heart, in my home, in my church, in my city, in my nation, here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what the Lord is doing in the world. He is bringing his kingdom and his will here on earth as it is in heaven. And he invites each one of us to play our part in seeing that happen. So let's pray and ask again for God's power and his clarity and his wisdom to know how to be faithful to his call. Lord, we thank you for this, this grace, this thing that we receive that we do not deserve, this grace to be invited into your work. Lord, I thank you for the gifts the skills, the passions, the experiences of every single man and woman in this room. We thank you for that. We pray that their gifts, their abilities, that their hands would be, get, be put to good work here in our church and in our city. If you're calling them to other places, that you would make that clear to them and that we as a church would be with them and behind them as we send them. Lord, we thank you for all of the various ways that we get to be a part of seeing your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen.